0: Well, I hope you're as excited as I am about jumping back into the book of Romans. We were doing a study on Romans in 2013, and we left off for a sexual purity series, but it's back. Romans, we're jumping back into chapter 6. So I'm so excited that you're here with us. It's my privilege to serve here as the senior pastor at Grace Fellowship. My name's Brad Bigney. I'm heading into my 19th year now, joyfully serving here with you. And I'm so excited that you're here for this study this, this book changed my life at a 19, as a 19-year-old, and it's one of the best books that you could ever study in the Bible, and you showed up for one of the best chapters that are in this book, because if you can get a hold of what Paul is saying, the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 6, listen to me, it will change your life. Life. So with no further delay, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, and I hope you have a Bible. I want you to see this for yourself. I hope you have a real Bible with real paper in your lap or an app in your lap, whatever your preference is. Don't be checking Facebook. Don't tweet nothing. Pull up your Bible on your app and look at it because these are life-changing words. Romans chapter 6, follow along. Actually, you know what? I'm going to back it up and start in 520. Romans chapter five verse twenty. So you can see what he just said that caused him to notice that there might be a rebuttal to that in Romans six one. Romans five twenty. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded. To what extent? Much more, much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What then shall we say? ...should walk in newness of life. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death... ...then certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection... ...knowing this, that the old man... ...the old man was crucified with him... ...that the body of sin might be done away with... ...that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin... Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves... Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members, members, he's talking about your hands, feet, ears, eyes, don't, don't give yourself. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Look at me. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under law, but under grace. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truthfulness of your word. Thank you for the life-changing power of your word. Give us ears to hear your word. Give us hearts to believe it and say, amen, yes, so be it. And give us feet to follow in light of those great truths. Lord, we don't want to just preach a sermon, take some notes, fill up an hour. Lord, we want you to change us. By your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we get started again, let's do a little review and summarize where we've been so far and what we've been learning from the book of Romans, especially chapter 6. Get the lay of the land again, all right? We said that in Romans chapter 6, it's all about, this chapter is all about the ongoing process now of fighting the sin that remains yet in us as believers. And this process is called sanctification, Sanctification. That's what Romans chapter 6 is all about. If you back up, Romans chapter 4 and 5 is describing Christ's finished work on the cross that paid the penalty for our sin once and for all. But that takes place in a moment. In a moment, in an instant, when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, when you lay aside your own self-righteousness and your efforts and your merit system and you say, yes, Lord Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are and I believe you did what the scriptures proclaim you did. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Save me. I can't do this. I can't do this on my own. Save me. In that moment, justification takes place by faith. Not by works, by faith. It's in a moment. So Romans 4 and 5 is about justification that is done. D-O-N-E. Romans chapter 6 is about sanctification now. The ongoing process of living it out. Of living the Christian life. And so we've got to ask some questions. To understand what is going on with sanctification. What does the process of sanctification look like in a Christian life? And most of all, here's the question you got to answer. What place, what place does sin have in your life now as a Christian? What place does sin have in your life now? Should it be there or not? Does it have to be there or not? And how much control do you have over it now? See, look at Romans 6, verse 2 again. Romans chapter 6, verse 2. How shall we who died to sin... Live any longer in it. What is Paul saying right there? Because get this. It's a rhetorical question. He's not expecting an answer. He doesn't want anybody to raise their hand and say, ooh, 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 ooh. I'll, I'll answer that. If he was here himself, here's how it would sound as he said it. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? It's a statement, an emphatic statement, not a question. It's a rhetorical question making a huge statement and declaration about us. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? But we better figure out, if it's not a question and it's a statement, what is he stating? What is it that he's stating? What is true? Is Paul saying that once you become a Christian... Woo, you never sin again. I hope not. Because I wouldn't be a Christian. He's not teaching sinless perfectionism. There are those that are out there and books that are written and entire theologies about that. That somehow there's this secret and you can get in the zone. It's the victorious Christian life. The Keswick movement. And you just got to get yourself aligned. You got to understand your union with Christ. And you're seated in the heavenlies. And you just, blah, blah, blah. every time I read it, I think, ah, I don't know what you're talking about. And that doesn't play out in my everyday life. And I think you're kind of pretending. And you'll find what they do is they redefine sin to be able to say that they're sinless. Because they're not being honest. He's not teaching sinless perfectionism. You say, Brad, how do you know that? How do you know you're right what you're saying and they're wrong? Here's a good rule of thumb. Whenever you're studying your Bible and you come to a place that you're trying to say, what is that? What is he saying? Rule of thumb, just keep reading. Just keep reading just keep reading all you have to do is keep reading and roll on into Romans chapter 7 and other places in the Bible to know okay he's not talking about sinless perfectionism because in Romans chapter 7 Paul himself who just said how how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it go over into Romans 7 he talks about this intense struggle look at it with me Romans 7 beginning of verse 21 just one chapter later and Lord willing we'll get there this year we're going to make it to 7 this year Lord willing I kid you not. There's, we're going to be in six for a while still. But we'll get to seven. Look at what he says in, in beginning of verse 21. And I'm going to read it from the NIV in this instance. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another work, a law at work in the members of my body. Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members... What a wretched man am I. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now does that sound like sinless perfectionism? I don't think so. It sounds like a fight to me. It sounds like a battle. It sounds like a struggle. Check out Galatians 5, 17. Show you another instance of this. It's not sinless perfectionism. If you're in Romans and you're new to your Bible, just go to the right. First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians Look at Galatians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 16. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit lusts against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. The NIV says the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature desires. ...so that these are in conflict with one another. The Bible does not teach sinless perfectionism. So what is going on in these verses? You say, Brad, are we dead to sin or not? Are we free or not? Let me me tell you what it is that has happened. Something definitive and emphatic and amazing has happened. But it's not that you don't sin anymore... What takes place the moment that you're justified, the moment you put your faith in Christ, the moment you say, yes, Lord Jesus, new life in Christ leads you into a brand new fight. A brand new fight. You're free to fight now, and it's much more intense. Get this, some of you already know, you found this out. It's much more intense than it ever was before you were a Christian. You see, faith in Christ launches you Into a battle now between your sinful nature, your flesh, and the Spirit of God that lives in you. Many Christians make the mistake of of not understanding this flesh, this sin nature that you have is still alive and will be alive until Christ takes you home or he returns. And so you gotta learn there's a battle. It's a battle now, but you've got power with Jesus living in you to fight this good fight. You've got resources and grace, direct access to his throne. But don't make the mistake of thinking, oh, sin's been vanquished once and for all. Or don't let Satan lie to you and say, what's wrong with you? You're the only one that still struggles like this. What's wrong? You don't have what everybody else has. And then you make the mistake of walking into the family Christian bookstore and it confirms, oh, I don't have what everybody else has. There's a secret. There's seven keys. There's three secrets. There's nine steps to getting in the zone. I want to be in the zone. I I, I don't want to have this struggle. I want to just, whew. And it sells, that sells, because it's what we want. It's just not in the Bible. So stay here, stay with the Bible, and you'll see what God really, see Paul in Romans chapter six does not describe the victorious Christian life. He describes the glorious Christian fight. That's what you find in the Bible, not the victorious Christian life, the victorious Christian fight. And it is a fight. He talks about boxing. He talks about wrestling. He talks about running. He talks about farming. He talks about hard things. Those are the metaphors in the Bible that describe the Christian life. That's why theologian R.C. Sproul said this, quote, In one sense, life doesn't even get complicated until you become a Christian. Some of you would say, oh, yeah, yeah. And so this is why it's so bad and sad with people like Joel Osteen and others on the TV just saying, your best life now. Your best life now. Ooh, it's going to be so good. Name it. Claim it. Blab it. Grab it. King's kids go first class. What a mess. Because then when the king's kid has a big fat trial and gets cancer and loses their job, they say, what, 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 The what, what, what is turn that nonsense off, put that book down, and pick this book up, and you'll find out, oh, What God has done for us is good, it's glorious, but it's not that. The king didn't go first class. The king said, I have no place to lay my head. He didn't come to give you your best life now, he came to give you eternal life in glory. And it starts now, you got eternal life now, but you're gonna live it out in the land of cancer and unemployment and broken down cars and rebellious children and hard, tough, disappointing marriages. But Christ lives in you. He helped you through it. And you got direct access to the throne through prayer. And you got brothers and sisters around you. It's glorious what God has done. But it's not that you don't struggle anymore. And sin has no effect on you anymore. So if you're a Christian here today. You say, well Brad, then what do we have? You kind of bashed what we don't have. What do we have? I want to show you three descriptions of this new relationship to sin that you have so if you're a christian i'm talking to christians today if you're not a christian and you're still debating and questioning or refuting who christ is you don't have these things but i'd love for you to have these things and it starts with justification when you put your faith in christ so you consider that while we talk about this if you're here and you're a christian you have a brand new relationship to sin and let me describe it for you in three ways number one Sin no longer characterizes you. It's not your calling card. It's not your calling card. It doesn't represent the overall pattern of your life now. You don't live in it. You step into it. You fall into it. You stumble into it. But you don't just wallow around in it and live in sin. Notice what he says. I'm not making this up. Look at Romans 6.2 again. Romans 6.2. How can you who died to sin live any longer, what is it? In it, in it, in it. See, Paul doesn't say you can't ever commit sin now. He doesn't say that. But that you can't go on living in it. For example, now this may rattle some of you, but stay with me. Let me do a disclaimer before I say what I'm about to say. I believe the Bible teaches that when you're saved, you're saved. Once saved, always saved. When God saves you, he keeps you. There is not, I was saved last year, this year I'm not. When he saves you, he keeps you. Read John 10. I know my sheep, I give them eternal life, no one can snatch them out of my hand, okay? I believe that. But here's what I do. Whenever I have someone who's sitting in front of me that doesn't care what God's word says and says, I don't care what the Bible says, I'm committing adultery anyway. I've never been happy She makes me happy, or he makes me happy. I'm going to do this. I know the Bible says this is adultery and this is wrong. Not changing, not repenting, not turning back. And they're a member of our church, or they're a member, or they grew up in the church, or I I don't. Don't hear me saying I look at them and say, oh my goodness, you are lost and on your way to hell. I don't say that. But here's what I also don't say I don't give them assurance of salvation. There's no assurance of salvation when you're in sin and refuse to repent and you know what God's word says and you say, I don't care. I want what I want. You shouldn't be assured of your salvation because, like, that's not how Christians live. How can we who died to sin live any longer? What? What's the phrase? In it. Now, what it proves is if this person goes on and never repents, it doesn't mean they lost their salvation, folks. It means they never were saved to begin with. Did they do something? Did they walk an aisle and shake somebody's hand? Oh, yeah. Did did they cry crocodile tears? Did they sign a card? Did they get baptized one Sunday? Sure. Are they born again, saved, and on their way to heaven? No. I give no assurance while someone is in unrepentant, willful, knowing, don't care what God says condition. Does that make sense? Because this chapter and many other places is teaching sin no longer characterizes you. It's not your calling card. Do we sin? Let's be clear. Can Christians born again commit adultery? Yes. Yes. Sadly, yes. Do they stay in it and say, I don't give a rip what the elders say, the church says, the small group leader friends that are coming pleading with me, my relatives, everybody, and continue that way for the next six, eight, ten years and go to the grave, but say, oh, praise God. One thing we know, she's a Christian because we remember when she... Please don't do that. Pray for their soul. That God would save them. Okay. Sin no longer characterizes you. It's not your calling card. Number two. Sin no longer owns you. Because you have a new master now. Jesus Christ. It doesn't characterize you. It doesn't own you. Now if that word master rubs you the wrong way. And it might. Because our flesh wants to be autonomous. I have have no master. I'm a free agent big guy. Well let me help you out here that word rubs you the wrong way, you need to get over it because there are only two options. You either Satan and sin is either your master or Jesus Christ in righteousness is your master. There's no middle ground. You see, I'm just floating in the middle. I don't, I'm not a slave to Satan and sin, but I'm not, I'm not looking for a master Jesus Christ in righteousness either. I'm just kind of going to do my... No, let me help you. You're not. You're either a slave to Satan and sin or you're a slave... To Jesus and righteousness There's only two options You say, well I don't remember signing up for Satan and sin You didn't have to, you were born that way You were born in your little kicking booties Well you didn't show up in booties But shortly thereafter <laughs> Booties, slaves Those precious little children in their booties Are slaves to Satan and sin Don't hear me saying I don't love them Don't hear me saying they're not created in the image of God And let's not even go with what happens if they die Let me help you I believe they go to heaven But they are Little sinners Vipers in diapers, okay? <laughs> Until God in his mercy saves them, all right? But I digress. I promise to stay right on the notes this Sunday. No longer owns you because you got a new master. Jesus Christ is your master now. You got a new master, so sin doesn't own you. Look at Romans 6, 6. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man, our old man was crucified with him, Why? What was the result? What's this leading up to? What's the end game? Our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be what? Slaves. Slaves to sin. Let, let me drive this home. Do we still sin? Yes. If Christ lives in you and you've been justified, boom, point in time by faith in Christ, are you a slave to sin? No. 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 You got a new master. Jesus Christ, sin doesn't own you. It doesn't own you. Paul's telling us the effect of being crucified with Christ is that we're no longer slaves to sin. Now, if you're still unsure about it and you say, Brad, and I'd understand if you push back and say, Brad, mm, it sure does feel like I still have to sin. I mean, it feels so urgent, so overwhelming, so just, oh. Yeah, welcome to my world. It does. But you don't have to sin. Look at verse 14, Romans 6, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. The NIV says sin shall not be master over you. For you're not under law, but you're under grace. Now look at me for a minute. What's going on there is marvelous, but a lot of people don't get it and they miss it. Here's the deal with the law. Too many people when you say, uh, "Are you going to heaven?" they say, "I hope so. I try to keep the 10 commandments, the law." Great, makes for a better society. Will it get you into heaven? No. Listen, law's not your friend. Law condemns us. Law exposes us. Law belittles us. Law breathes down your neck and is the standard that shows you you're not as good as you thought you were. You cannot do this. That's the role of law, condemnation, and it exposes our sin. So he's saying, you're not under law now. When you were there, that's a miserable place to be. It's just like, ah, you're under grace. You say, groovy, I can do whatever I want now. No. Because here's the deal. When you're under grace, when you've tasted grace... When Jesus Christ sets up housekeeping in you and lives in you, the resurrected Jesus Christ, and you know all my sins, past, present, future, have been forgiven, and he lives in me. I have the hope of heaven. There's no condemnation now over me. He sings over me. He delights in me. I'm his adopted daughter. I have a robe of righteousness. You don't want to sin anymore. Under grace means I want to please Him. There's this war. There's this battle. There's something in me that still wants to. But I got this other desire. Where'd that come from? Because Christ lives in you. You didn't have that before. You might have had a little bit of outward... Well, let's not do that because I'll look bad. But that was not pleasing God, holiness kind of desire. You got a righteous, pure, amazing, powerful desire that's not of yourself. It's the desire of another living in you. Jesus Christ that says... I want to please my father. He's been so good to me. I want to live for him. I want to honor him. I want to follow him. Under grace doesn't mean you go out and sin more. It means you pursue holiness with a vigor and a joy and a hopefulness. Because you're not trying to earn the father's favor thinking, I hope I do good enough today and live the Christian life good enough today that he'll love me. He already loves you. That's settled in Christ, D-O-N-E. When you put your faith in him, you're able to live and fight and run and pursue without the condemnation and uncertainty and guilt of does he love me today? Does he not? Am I doing enough? It doesn't matter what you're doing. You could never do enough. It's what Christ has done. And now you live free. It's a fight, but you got a freedom. You're not a slave anymore. Sin doesn't say it, own you. You have a new master. That's what Paul's teaching. But here's the deal as dramatic as that is, guess what? It doesn't mean you'll automatically walk in and experience the freedom of this truth. Just automatically. You say, really? Sure. Think about how many people have freedoms that are theirs, that they're ignorant of. And so they, they never put it into practice. They never take it. They never own it. For example, consider the Civil War and slavery right here in our own country. On January 1st, 1863, the United States of America was approaching its third year of a bloody Civil War. When President Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation that immediately affected every slave in this land. The minute he signed it with the authority vested in him as the President of the United States, every slave in this country was legally free. But the war wasn't over. The war drug on for two more bloody years until May 1865. But the freedom. Of every slave was decided and declared on January 1st, 1863. It was done. So now think with me for a moment. Did every slave, did every slave immediately experience the freedom that was theirs on January 1st, 1863? No. Was all the pain and struggle over on January 1st, 1863? And do you think every slave fully understood the radical new life Life alteration and orientation that was theirs now. Now. In fact, most slaves couldn't read and there wasn't the media that we have today to just blitz the nation and get the word out immediately. Listen to me. The same is true for us as Christians. In Romans chapter 6, God is telling us our emancipation proclamation that you are, say it, free you do not have to sin. You're not a slave to Satan and sin. But oh my goodness, unless you read this and wrestle with it and meditate on it and delight in it and say, God, help me. And now I know I don't have to be lied to. I, I have more power than I thought. I have a freedom. You'll never live it out. But you got to start with the truth. You better know what is true about you before you ever try to do anything. You've been set free from Sin It doesn't own you, but it's got a very familiar voice. And some of you are still listening to it, obeying it. And you're still stuck in some of the old ways of defeated thinking. You're going to have to renew your mind with God's truth about who you are now in Christ. Otherwise, you'll just stagger through life. You'll just keep on staggering through life with a slave mentality. All the while, the cross of Christ stands as our emancipation proclamation that sin does not own you. The chains have been broken. Is there still an attraction to sin? Yeah, because you got this sin nature. Will it still be a battle? Yes. Will you step into it, fall into it, stumble into it? Yes. But you don't have to. It doesn't own you. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about. Years ago, I read about a a a famous zoo in Germany that purchased a great brown bear that had been with a traveling circus all his life. This was all he'd known. And the workers at the zoo in Germany that purchased this bear learned that the bear had lived his entire life, this giant, magnificent creature had lived his entire life in a tiny cage that was 12 feet long and not wide enough to turn around in. So he spent his entire life, it's all he'd known, with his massive head swaying back and forth, just marching 12 steps forward, and 12 steps back, 12 steps forward, 12 steps back. And on top of that, they treated him poorly. The, the water was stagnant. The food was garbage. The people that came to see him were cruel and delighted in throwing cigarette butts on the floor of his cage and watching him jump when he stepped on them. That's his life as he'd known it. But after the purchase price was arranged, the bear was shipped in his cage to the beautiful, beautiful zoo in Germany. And he was free to start a brand new life. Much better life because the zoo in Germany had a bear compound. You know what I mean? One of those just open area kind of deals with trees to climb, lush green grass, sparkling pools of water, and one hot she bear for a companion. (laughs) This is better. Life just got a whole lot better. But when the zookeepers wheeled the bear's cage onto the compound and opened the door of his cage to freedom, the bear just kept marching 12 steps forward. And 12 steps back. They had to coax him out of his cage. And even when he got out of his cage, he looked around at the green grass, trees to climb, sparkling pools of water, one hot she-bear. And to the amazement of the zookeepers, he dropped his head and began to pace 12 steps backwards, 12 steps forward. And at that moment, the zookeepers realized, this bear's not in a metal prison. He's in a mental prison. Stay with me. That bear is some of you here today. God has thrown open the door of your cage. You have freedom. But you're still stuck in a mental prison, believing the lies of Satan that you can only do so much that your life will never change. There's no hope for you. Yeah, other people, but, 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 but. You've lived your whole Christian life with a yeah, but. Yeah, but, that's what the God word says, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And God wants you to see, this is where Romans chapter 6 comes in. God wants you to see your emancipation proclamation, the declaration that you've been set free from the prison of slavery and sin. As we start a new year, oh, listen to me, never mind a new year's resolution. I get so weary of that. Right now at the gym, I expect hundreds to clear out, hopefully in February and March, and those of us that really mean it will be there. And I can get back on my machines, all these people in their new little outfits, just get out of here. It's not gonna, about five of them are gonna hang in there. New Year's resolution, never mind a New Year's resolution. But I tell you what, there'd be a New Year's revolution in your life if you could get a hold of this truth of what He is saying to you that is true about you as a Christian. The freedom that you have now in Christ that sin to, sin no longer characterizes you. Sin no longer owns you. You've got a new master. You're under grace, not the, the condemnation of law. You've got a freedom and a power you never had before. But real quick, let me give you my last point. Because I believe if you don't get this, you'll never get free. You'll stay stuck. What I'm about to share with you in this final point, I believe, is the reason why so many... Truly born-again Christians. Earlier, earlier I was talking about people that say they're Christian and I don't think they are. I'm talking about truly converted, born-again, Christ-loving Christians who stay so stuck all their lives. And let me tell you what the reason is. Sin through your flesh will lie to you. You need to understand your flesh, your sin nature is still in conjunction with sin. It partners with sin. It goes with sin it declares what sin says. It's not your friend. This sin nature is not your friend. So sin through your flesh will lie to you. So you better learn to talk to yourself more than listening to yourself. Boom. There it is. That would change your life this, this, this year. Too many people think whatever they're hearing inside of them, that's very authentic and true. And, and they attribute all of it to God. Well, the Holy Spirit told me, folks, your flesh talks to you all the time. And last night's anchovies can talk to you certain days. You don't know what's what there. You know how we know what's what? You go right here. We go right here. It doesn't matter what I feel. What's God's word say? You got to go to the word. Your flesh will lie to you. Sin through your flesh will lie to you. So you better learn to talk to yourself more than listening to yourself. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great biblical expositor as well as medical physician, said, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? I think he's absolutely right. I hope you know what he means by listening to yourself. But let me give you an example of what it looks like. We do it all the time, and you're going to face it tomorrow morning if you're anything like me, and I think you are. Here's what's going on in our head. Here's this talk that we listen to. The alarm clock goes off, jarring you out of your deep slumber. And you think, make it stop, make it stop, make it stop. You hit the snooze button, buying yourself a few more precious minutes, cuddled up, toasty under the covers. But it goes off again. And you're a big boy or a big girl. So you do begin to, all right, all right, got to get up. And the listening begins. You think to yourself, today is Thursday. Thursday. Oh no, I have that sales meeting today. I'm, I'm better off curling up here for the whole day. I can't do it. I can't go. I hate her. I shouldn't have to. I work so hard. They expect too much from me. I'm only one person. I should exercise. Ooh, the back hurts. Forget that. This all happened in the first 15 seconds. You're not out of bed yet. So you swing your feet to the side, feet hit the floor. And the voice gets louder. Yesterday, what was it that I wanted to remember? Oh, yeah, that new noise from the car. It's always something. Can't we go two weeks without something breaking? Why don't they make cars the way they used to? And, oh, I need to balance the checkbook. Yikes, where is the checkbook? I don't remember where I've seen it last. That all happened between the bed and the bathroom. <laughs> Feet hit the bathroom floor, and the voice picks up pace. What did Vicky mean by that comment last night? Was she being sarcastic? Does she even respect me? What happened to marriage and mercy when they collide? Where's my razor? Why does everybody bother my stuff? Can't anyone in the family leave my stuff alone? I'd like for this bathroom to be my bathroom with my stuff that nobody takes and doesn't bring back. (gasps) This weekend's gonna be so busy. I've got so much to do today. I should pray. I don't have time to pray, but I didn't pray yesterday. The mirror needs to be cleaned. Wow, I'm getting wrinkles at the corner of my eyes and they're starting to droop just like my dad. How long have I looked like this? Huh? That's how most of our days start off And it doesn't quit It just goes relentlessly all day long So listen to me On a daily basis you are faced with two simple choices And so am I Two choices every day you've got to face You can either listen to yourself And your constantly changing feelings About your circumstances Or number two you can talk to yourself about the unchanging truth of who God is and what he's done for you and what his promises tell you about your circumstances that are true. That's your choice. Every day, every moment of every day, you've got that choice to make because here's the problem. Too many times we're just passively listening to ourselves and allowing our feelings to shape our view of God ...and our circumstances, and so is it any wonder why we're so depressed and so unhappy so much of the time? You've got to learn to talk to yourself. You say, Brad, isn't it kind of weird talking to yourself? Out loud, in public, be careful. (laughs) But in general, super biblical, super biblical. You say, prove it. Great. Psalm 103, go there. Quick. I want you to see two places real quick as we close... Psalm 103, is it biblical to talk to yourself? Oh, it's biblical to talk to yourself. It's more than biblical, it's essential. If you don't learn to talk to yourself with God's truth, you will struggle in the Christian life. Oh, my goodness. You got to talk to yourself with truth. Psalm 103, you might recognize this if you grew up in the church, but maybe you haven't heard anyone do what I'm about to do with it. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Who is he talking to? Himself. Himself. The psalmist almost has stepped outside of himself and has backed his own little soul into a corner and has given it a real talking to. Bless the Lord. And here's what he does. you got to know God, first of all, and be reading God's word to know what to say to your soul next. He starts to remember and declare what he knows to be true. Even though his feelings may be way off over here and his circumstances look abysmal he starts telling himself what he knows is true. Forget not all his benefits. We forget. He forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So is that the only place? No. Psalm 42. Go back a little more. Psalm 42 Why are you cast down, O my soul? In the Holman Christian Standard Bible. That's a new translation. It's a good one. In the Holman Christian Standard Bible, they translated this. Why am I so depressed? Why am I so depressed? And why are you disquieted within me, O my soul? Who's he talking to? (laughs) Himself. It's self-counsel, self exhortation And then look what he does. Hope in God. Tells himself, hope in God. My hope's been placed in that meeting. My hope's been placed in this person. My hope's been placed in my feelings. Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him, my help and my countenance. The NIV, that last phrase says, for I shall yet praise him, my savior and my God. And get this, we don't get it right away. He says these same things three times. He says it in 42.5. Look down to 42.11. He says it again in 42.11. He says it again in chapter 43, verse 5. I have all three circled in my Bible with lines connecting them. You got to talk to yourself and you got to do it more than once. You may have to repeat it all day long, but you better Learn to talk to yourself using the truth of God's word rather than just listening to yourself and letting your feelings shape your view of God and your circumstances. Listen to me, that's why Jesus said in John eight thirty two, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. He didn't say you're gonna have a certain feeling, a certain good feeling and that good feeling will set you free. Listen to me, feelings are most often not our friends. They're deceivers, they will lie to you Feelings are what get us all tangled up and ensnared and trapped and messed up. We got too many Christians that think, if I don't feel it, I can't do it. You better learn to do a lot of things that you don't feel based on the truth of God's Word. The truth of God's Word. The truth. See, Satan wants you to get all obsessive like, do I feel righteous? Do I feel like I have a righteous robe? Do I feel forgiven? Do I feel alive? Do I feel. It doesn't matter what you feel. What does God's Word say? And you step out on that and say, feelings, you can just whine and whimper and carry on all you want, but I'm gonna walk in the truth of God's word. You better learn to talk to yourself instead of just listening to yourself if you wanna thrive in the Christian life. You will not defeat sin with good feelings. You defeat sin by the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Sin no longer characterizes you. Sin no longer owns you. But sin will speak through your flesh and lie to you. So learn to talk to it instead of listen to it. Christ has set you, say it, free. God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for what Christ has done definitively and emphatically that has radically changed our lives. But, Lord, we want to spend this year living it out, walking in that truth, and start by delivering many of us from a mental prison with the same old defeated thinking that there's no hope and there'd be no change. God, sweep through with your word and give us a revolution this year, not a a wimpy resolution, because your word is true and your spirit is alive in us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.